cliffcentral.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's go. We have got the burning platform, which is next. I couldn't sit on the floor anymore. Managed to, <laughs> okay, I'm going to readjust myself. I think. Would you like a, a thank chair you for as well? all that, those yoga classes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, thank you to all the yoga. I'm actually quite all right sitting here on the floor, grounded. Now, I will. Um, I'll be revealing all in the next couple of weeks but we're also going to be doing something different on the burning platform going forward but i'll tell you more about that as we get closer to uh our our start date on something new because i think also that the burning platform while it's a terrific talk shop and we've had some very very smart people on here also we need to start getting things done and pumi was right earlier when she said that people who go to marches and things they feel like they're doing something and too often on this show, there are all these great ideas that fly around or just people analyzing other people in politics. And um, I think there's a new direction we could take this in as well. So for the fans of The Burning Platform, we are going to be reinventing that too while we reinvent our studio space, while we move offices. All of this stuff is happening at once. And I'm pleased to bring to the show for the last one that we're doing in our old studios, Pumlani Majozi. Hello, Pumlani. How are you? Oh, hang on, let me just make sure he's on here. I think you're on mute. You're on mute, Pumlani. Ha. Three years later. Three <laughs> oh, years later, yes. we are still Three telling you, unmute yourself. <laughs> we believe that. Three years later. <laughs> but thanks, Gareth. I am well. It's great Good. to be back. And it's great to see you, uh, both of you. Uh, welcome to 2023. Soft, eh? And uh, I hear that you guys are moving into a new home, right? We are indeed. Um that's great stuff. That's progress. <laughs> it is. You got to keep moving, right? Um, and and by moving, we took it very literally and decided to pack boxes. You must see the passage here. It's full of uh, of, of cardboard boxes that are full of stuff. All right. So mm. Pumlani, I mean, the country is moving at a snail's pace, but we're still moving. We're moving uh, in a direction where I think most people are just getting hot full, and we haven't spoken to you for some time. So. I know it's a new year, and I know lots of people are very amped up and ready to give it horns, but the problem is you need power to make an economy work. And I think the ANC has just realized now, um, after 28 years in power, the ANC finally realized that you actually need energy to run an economy. And uh, I think it's, it's too late for them. And this is their biggest blunder, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong and pull me jump in here if you agree or disagree, the ANC has now caused its own trouble. And this is nobody else's doing. You know, you can blame whoever else you like. You can blame engineers at ESCOM. You can blame uh, bad management there. You can blame um, the ministers who we've had in various portfolios. But at the center of all of this, there is an ethos of catered deployment and a lack of care and consideration for things that work, a kind of a an almost childish notion that if you just leave things, they'll just carry on running. You know, electricity will just keep on working. And in the meantime, all that money that we're meant to be generating and that we're giving from the fiscus to ESCOM, we can just pocket that money because that's the ANC's ethos. Am I being very unfair? No, you are being very fair. <laughs> so, I mean, you're... you're, you're... What you have outlined is very much true. The ANC has um, sort of mismanaged the country and where we are right now, it is indeed their doing uh, because this thing was highlighted way, way back that we are going to have issues in the future with mm-hmm. respect to demand and supply around them, the, the energy market, market in South Africa. And the initiatives and the right way of doing things in terms of reform, ensuring that we can sort of be able to, um, to to meet that demand when it rises in years to come. The preparations for that were not done properly. Um, there was state, cap- state capture as well. There was massive corruption. There was um, massive mismanagement of, uh, of projects um, uh, focused on um, building their new power, pl- power plants or power stations. So all of this really is the ANC is doing. And I like when you use the word, it's too late. Because when you look at, there's a new article, I think this morning by Business Day, that basically says that the ANC, um, the polls, there is a poll that was released 
that shows that shows the ANC has basically been hard hit by the load shedding in terms of support. There they are getting mm-hmm. less than forty percent of the you know of, of support in that poll. So I mean remember the blackouts it's something that is really where you feel as an individual. You can you you sense that you are you are feeling the the negativity of, of, of load shedding, right? It could be your business, it could be how you work, mm-hmm. it could be how you plan your day. It's affecting the you know the 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 transport so, on the street so and so on and so on. I, I don't mean to cu- to cut you short there, but we Pumi and I spent last week talking to Valley Padiachi about Eskom and about load shedding. What I want to talk about this week is the political consequences. And Pums and I were just talking briefly before uh, we started the burning platform this morning, Pumlani, about how bizarre it is. What a kind of mirror clown world we live in, where the DA can sum up, uh, summon up. Uh, thousands of, of blue shirt wearing protesters in the center of Joburg, a la Kasatu in the 90s. And the ANC Youth League gathers its 10 scrappy people to kind of meet them in the streets with a, with an answer. And I, I just think that that's something no one could have predicted. And we'll talk about what you think that means in a minute, but I know Pumi's got some questions for you. Well, I, it's, it's not questions. You know, one of the things that, that I keep thinking about is, Kudos to them for getting all of those people out in the street. But I'm also thinking, why the hell are you involving us in this? It's like, Gareth, the DA is the official opposition. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they all work in the same office there at Parliament, yeah. right? The DA has its hands on the levers of power. No, they in, don't. In terms of, hold on, in terms of the fact that they are in the office as the official opposition and they are able to table issues and they're able to hold their of as the official opposition right is they're able to debate it they're able to fight it out they're able to negotiate with the ANC to say how do we move this forward and instead of using that power they choose to demonstrate politically demonstrate in the streets right and i'm asking myself so why the hell am I voting for you to be in Parliament and be that voice if you're not using that and you'd rather have us in yeah, the streets? Uh, it's like you and I, Gareth, in this office. We work together here in this office. And the the listeners have a problem with the way the app works. The sound is never working. They're mm. always complaining. And I, I agree with the listeners that this we need to do something about it. And instead of me having a conversation with you and Rena and Ryan and all of the various people that I have access to, to have that conversation, I organize with the listeners that we're going to come and demonstrate. <laughs> this no, is, this is what has happened. <clears throat> but again, but also, also, I do think that they've missed an opportunity in the Western Cape. The DA is, they just announced that they're going to be buying power from people who, from independent individuals who have the power to feed back into the grid. That's what you do, right? right. Is you, you demonstrate so they are what do- you are so they able are doing to it. do what you are able to do with the power that you have been given. You don't but, ask but, but, me to come uh, so and I, help I heard, you in your office. So I heard two people on the news. Sorry, Pumlani, we'll get to you in a second. But I heard two people on the news last night in SABC with uh, Vuyom Voko. And the one woman was saying, well, you know, actually the DA has been there in politics, kind of, you know, what you're saying now, but she, she wasn't as nuanced about it. I suddenly thought, again, here's this thing where we hold the ANC to a very low standard, but we hold the DA to an impossibly high standard. We keep doing this. We keep having separate standards for these two parties. Now, if the DA didn't protest and they didn't march, people would say, ah, these guys are useless opposition parties because they don't take advantage of politics and a situation with ESCOM. And they should be taking advantage of this so they can gain, gain and garner votes. Then if they do a protest, we say, oh, but they should be sorting this out in parliament. With the ANC, we just take whatever absolute slop they can offer us, and we go, oh, well done, guys. At least you're having a talk shop in Bramfontein with Gwede <laughs> Mantashe. Everybody, look, I think there was a misreporting of the fact that the ANC are organizing a march as well around this thing. And it was fascinating for me to watch how everybody's response to it was, you're the fucking problem. You're the problem. Marching against yourself is not well, going to okay, help. Okay, so… And so I think th- this is the question then. And this was, is where the political was the DA right to march on the Tuli House because the ANC's biggest problem was no, 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 you shouldn't be marching on the Tuli House. You should be march- marching on ESCOM. They're trying to create distance between them and ESCOM. 
What's your feeling on that? Pumlani, you start. <laughs> well, it was indeed a political process because the strategy here was to tie the, um, the load shedding and the problems of blackouts uh, to the NC. Mm-hmm. That was the objective with uh, with, uh, with much. Um, and then, of course, as Pumi is saying, that, um, I mean, I think they, the DA, from a governance point of view, from a push for energy reform, um, uh, from a um, the alternatives that they are trying to put together in Cape Town to try and and and, know, and, and reduce load sheddings, I think they are pushing in that front in terms of policy and and trying to sort of uh, push for for energy reforms. Um, this week, the the whole strategy for the party was to tie um, the, the, the Black House to the NC. Mm. Now, I think for a week, two weeks is very long in politics. I think for now, for this week, it may have been a plus and a minus. Some people will say will be sort of have a negative view like Pum is, is sort of putting forward. Some will say it was the right thing to do because at the end of the day, the NC has been the one that has, that has you know, let us down. But I mean, for me, I, I don't think this is negative for the DA. Um, it was fine for this week, and that's it. And I think in two, three weeks' time, people will forget about it because you know a, a week or two weeks will be long in politics. So for now, it's, it's something that is fine. But then there has to be sort of a long-term proposals of reform from their part, from their part. And as Pumi is saying, that they push uh, to get to resolve the energy, energy issue within them. The, the, the parliamentary uh, platforms and other avenues as well. So the, the, the long-term strategy has to be there for the DA as it goes up to the 2024 um, That's just my, my honest view. So, as you know, I am also kind of by election watching because that's one of the easiest ways to hold your pulse on mm-hmm. how the electorate is responding to everything that's happening. Right, and there were three by elections yesterday. We haven't got results. I haven't seen any results. Where, where up. are they? they? Are they, are they two in, in ha- Hermansburg <laughs> and Wuppertal? And where else did you tell me about this morning? <laughs> Stadtheim. One, one was in the Eastern Cape. <laughs> Which, as you know, the people in the Eastern Cape love the ANC, no matter what. Yes. Um, two were in Limpopo. The Eastern Cape, both and the Limpopo ones, rural-ish kind of uh, voting districts. What is fascinating, and then the, the results from uh, the one area in Mbape, I think it is, in Limpopo, have come back. And it was, for the first time, Action SA contesting award. Mm-hmm. Um in the Limpopo region, the EFF held that ward and they, they have maintained their hold on the ward and the ANC, even though the EFF has declined, declined by, I think, 2% or so, the ANC has declined. They are the second highest, but the Action SA, who've never contested there before, so they are first time, yeah. 10% showing. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Right? That's very impressive for a first showing. 10%. Sure. Is what they pulled in there. The DA, unfortunately, we don't have their numbers because they weren't there. Because mm-hmm. they don't show up in they those rural contest areas. It. They don't contest those rural areas. The The second one was an EFF ANC uh, runoff, also in the Limpopo region. I just checked and I don't see anything has come up yet around it. But again, you know, very fascinating to see that they are losing ground. Yeah. The ANC yeah. is losing ground and it is just it is well, for the opposition to show up. I mean I, I see, no, I see I, you you disagree, Pumlani? Yeah, well, um there's just one thing I want to mention here. I don't want to dispute uh what Pum is saying when she says they are losing ground. Um but my view is that um what will happen now this is coming to twenty twenty four, sort of my prediction is that um, the NC got, I think it was plus 56%, in just plus 56% in the national vote in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And my view is that some people project that it will go below 50%. And my view is that actually, yes, the NC will continue to decline because it's been declining for over the past 20 years, but it won't get below 20, below, below 50%. In other words, it's still going to 
to to hold on. Um, though of course its support will will, will decline, just slightly um decline. Uh, because yes, the by elections, uh, what is what is Pumi is observing. Um, yes, they may look like, and locally the NC has been really getting a hard hit. You know, um, but when it comes to a national level, there is a really high chance that people will rather will say, well, at a national level, we'll continue to vote for the ANC, and then locally, maybe I can vote for someone else. So there will be many of those instances where people split their vote, right? And therefore, at a national level, you still get the ANC, you know, governing the country post-2024, and then in locals and all that, provincial, then you might see some big shift they're taking place. That is just what I think is going to happen in, in 2024. So what what do you both have to say about, you know, Pravin Gordon I saw trying to defend himself on the news last night, and, and he's never done that before. He's always kind of just... Was it the real Pravin Gordon? Did well, he actually show up? No, it was... The it hologram. Was, no, it was virtual. Ah, was virtual. so we don't know. Could be AI. We have not seen Pravin Gordon. Listen. We have not seen Pravin Gordon <laughs> show up and take responsibility no. for the the numerous, numerous fuck-ups that he has been at the helm of. We have not seen that. Yeah. Not in a long time. And and I think, you know, the, we're, we're going to look back at this period in history and poor Cyril, he is going to go down in the annals of history as the worst president we have ever had. In our new dispensation, mm-hmm. he is going to be the president that I'm lost. Not, I'm not in disagreement. The ANC power. Yeah. He is also going to be. He is going to be the president under whose watch South Africa's decline has been most precipitous, monumental. Yeah. And Pravin Gordon, guys. Big is going to be forgotten. No, look at look at what's happening no, no, right no. now. He's not going to be in that line. People are going to forget. He's going to be Pumi, forgotten. I, I disagree. Do you remember how people would praise him when you remember when he was running SARS? Do you remember he was the SARS commissioner and people saying, "Oh, SARS runs so well. They're so efficient. It must be that Pravin Gordon." Remember? And then he took over, and and you had all those people in the media, all the Cyril fans now, same ones, <laughs> whose whose copy book is destroyed from cover to cover with all their predictions they've got. You could not meet a group of people who've got it more wrong than the editors of major newspapers in this country, right? Am I wrong? Pravin. Am I wrong? They were all big Pravin fans. They were all (laughs) shouting and screaming to the hilltops. Oh, no, as soon as Pravin takes over as public enterprises minister, he's going to sort out SAA. He'll sort out Transnet. (laughs) He'll sort out uh, ESCOM. (laughs) And what's he done? He has fucked it up. Every step he's taken has been a disaster. So you tell me, apart from the stupidity of those people who predicted that Praveen was the best guy ever, because they're stupid, uh, have I mentioned how stupid they are? I might not have mentioned that yet. But also, look at Praveen's copybook. Look at how bad he looks. Uh, right? Guys, and now... Well, I mean, look, yeah. I, so you, you, the thing is, I, I think Pumi spoke about... Um, um, that he has not taken, you know, responsibility. But I mean, look, don't they learn this from our president? You know, I'm very much sort of um, unhappy with the fact that the president has never given a Q. The our president doesn't do a Q and A press no. conference. No. He doesn't do that to take questions. No. Stand there and take questions and answer them from our journalists around, you know, any issue. Right now we face blackouts. The president isn't coming through to no. do the Q&A you know, in press conferences. For me, that is cowardice. That shows some someone who is really not um, serious in terms of communicating maybe with he, his people. His maybe, maybe, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he just doesn't care. Maybe that's what the spin does. No, I, I, I doubt, I doubt uh, uh, Garrett, that he, he, he doesn't care. Um, I just it. think Ramaphosa. He is he is a very weak person in nature, very much a coward who cannot really stand up and, and be strong. Um, and I've heard with some. There's one person who, who worked with him way back, even during the times of the in during the his time in trade unions in the eighties. He says this guy. I've known him since then. I've worked with him. He is not a strong person to make in terms of decisiveness, you know, and be yeah. strong and stand. In front of the public, Ramaphosa doesn't can't do that. Yeah. He cannot do it, and that's a problem for his administration. 
It's a big one for me. And I think I sense that people get frustrated over this and everyone should be so, that the president is in speaking to us. Do you guys care at all that Didi Mabuza has resigned as deputy president? Do you has care? he resigned? Has Apparently, he resigned? This is what I'm hearing. I saw a, a thing saying that he his resignation is imminent. Okay, and so, that Paul Mashatile will be sworn in as an MP, paving the way for him being be appointed. President. There's a there's a clip there's a clip somewhere here of me telling you about President Mashatile before we get to 2024. Yo, Ryan, you gotta find that clip. We're gonna play it because, mm-hmm. like, no, you did say it. I'll vouch for you. You said it. Uh, and Pumi, you were the first one to raise flags about Cyril, but let's just talk about Didi Mabuza for a second. Let us look at his tremendously long list of achievements as a deputy president. Imagine anyone in your family or anyone in your circle of friends being raised to the the powerful position of being the se- second most important person in South Africa, right? After the president, this is the second most powerful, influential person who could get things moving. Uh, the Previously, we had Tabombeki. Yeah, previously, we had right? Cyril. No, but previously, we had Ta- let's go all the way back. Tabombeki, we had Jacob Zuma. Deputy president was a, a – they were ushering you into the position of president. It, it, essentially, it was like a dress rehearsal. And in most countries in the world, you have people who are really going to get things done from a head of government point of view almost. What has Didi Mabuza done – Apart from fly to his house he's built, an enormous house he's built for himself in Nelspreit on taxpayer money. Um, very often in private planes, but sometimes also on normal passenger planes. But aside from build his enormous house in Nelspreit, what has David Mabuza done for South Africa during his term? So here's my conspiracy theory mm-hmm. on that. I'm all ears. You know, we spoke about magic earlier in the show. Now, David Mabuza has had a very elaborate magic act with lots of misdirection. So we have all been watching a a particular thing. We've kind of everybody was was watching that DD. People were unsure about this guy and who is he? And he's, he's a little bit scary. You know, every time you hear him jokingly talking about taking people out and that's this, and everyone's mm-hmm. like, this guy's a thug. Who's this? Mm-hmm. And he has been the bogeyman that everybody uh, was holding up as to why Cyril must succeed. Because mm-hmm. if Cyril is recalled by the ANC, then Didi Mabuza becomes the president. And everybody, he was that bogeyman, right? And I say, I put it to you, my friends, that uh-huh. while we were engaged in in this kind of watching Didi for any kind of nefarious action and while we were treated to hold his poisoning and Russian escapades, mm-hmm. Didi Mabuza has very quietly been siphoning lots of like government money and tenders and possibly putting his own players in a lot of positions that gives him a very quiet access to all sorts of nefarious things. And, That's what and, I, and provided a useful counterpoint to Cyril, and, right? And so he's, he's ready now. He's ready now to, to walk away because all his, all his pipelines his are minions. in place. Yeah. His pipelines are in place and nobody has been watching him. What do you think of that, Pumlani? Well, I'm not surprised that he is um, to step off, um, and as, especially after the elective conference uh, last month that clearly um, sort of uh, dislodged him uh, from power within the ANC. So he is definitely going to... Uh, I do sense that he's going to, to, to leave. And then through and then I'm opposing him sort of can can build up to the twenty twenty four election. Um Mabuza's record um to me I you know it's one of those sort of where I wasn't seeing what he was doing. You know, I, I would hear that he has flown to somewhere in Eastern Europe for some medical whatical issues that, that he had. It was Russia to, to, to point to something 
Russia, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, to, but to point to something tangible that he that he has done, um, I don't, I, I haven't seen anything. And and again, I, it comes back to, to to learning from their leader, who really you cannot pinpoint. Um, there's an article I'm writing this week I'm publishing where I'm saying you can't really pinpoint the the fundamental sort of stuff and the fundamental changes for South Africans since Ramaphosa came into power. And the big question as we build up to 2024, it will be how has your life changed since the man or Ramaphosa came into power in 20, well, it was 2018 when they dislodged his woman. So, I mean, that's the, that's the big question South Africans have to, have to ask. And And, in my, in my view, Nothing has really changed. And again, I'd love those cheerleaders of Cyril Ramaphosa's in the media to own up and admit that statistically South Africans' lives are worse since he became president. Yeah, statistically, I'm talking about statistics here. We're not talking about just, you know, saying things randomly. No. Um, yeah. So, I mean, things have, have they haven't really improved. Um, and uh, as you say, the cheerleaders, uh, the question is what, will, what are they saying now? Um, I saw the economist magazine in London um, that had that endorsed Ramaphosa. Remember they put him on the cover story of the of theirs in, in April 28, 2019, saying that he's South Africa's South Africa's best bet. Last month they said actually they they overestimated you know Ramaphosa's ability to drive change in the country and, and they've called for, for for the coalition of the clean. So they've also abandoned him. Right, and the question is, can can people who really were sort of pushing for a Maposa own up now and say, actually, we do need an alternative, and the, uh, and the country cannot be fixed by the ANC at this point. It's too late, which is what you the words you used late earlier. So let me ask you both this question now. Uh, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, was in South Africa this week. He went to visit Naledi Pandor. Two of them had a nice conversation, posed for some very happy, smiley photographs afterwards. Uh, is Russia not the most villainous country on earth now by a fair margin, according to most people, you'd ask? And are we really, like a friend of mine jokingly said on Instagram the other day, wow, South Africa really is lining up to be on the bad guy's side of the next world war. Because we are very cozy with China. We're very cozy with Russia. It seems like we keep making friends with the people who everybody else sees as the bad guys. And do we really want, does Naledi Pandor want to be in a photograph with him? Because we know not so long ago she was uh, trying to position the Department of International Relations Mm -hmm. and cooperation on the Ukrainian side of this. Now she's meeting Lavrov. What does this mean and how does it position us internationally? And you know that we currently have a, a... Drills, joint drills with Russia, China, and South yes, Africa. Yes, that's right. We're doing so. military exercises together. Yeah. I don't know what we're providing because I don't know that we have too much equipment and all of our soldiers are fat and old, but okay. But guys, so the ANC has made it clear to us about what their foreign policy is and who they are lining themselves up with. And that is? They, and it's Russia. They're mm. clear that, that Russia is a friend and where they can, they will remain neutral, but Russia remains a friend. And, you know, we learned it from Nelson Mandela. We never abandon our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think, you know, as, as South Africans, the emotion of everything that is happening and happening to us is so high that we, we're also not looking clinically at, at all of the various uh, world issues that are happening, right? It is very clear that America has got a lot of its own problems. Sure. And that and, and it is also very clear that America does abandon its friends. Mm-hmm. Oh that's yeah, they've they've done that they've done that to themselves. Right. Nobody's nobody's having to read the tea leaves in that one. And and so I think that there there are many people, you know, India included, who are asking themselves as they and it, it's a it's a natural kind of veering towards right because of BRICS because of mm-hmm. of all of those various factions that the ANC has made a decision that says when the chips fall, this is where we are. This is absolutely where we are going. I think it is very simple to look at it in terms of good and evil. 
Yeah, but that's that's and, how that's how most of the world does. I'm not saying it's yeah, right. Yeah, that's uh, to look at it in terms of good and evil, and who is good is also a very subjective thing, right? Who is good is also subjective, and so, the fact that America's power is waning in many ways. Sure, guys. but then let's look at the advantages and disadvantages of being friends with Russia. What do we get out of the deal? What are we getting out of this? Listen. With our president right now, I think we're all asking ourselves, what are we getting out of every deal? He is currently holding his begging bowl at anybody that's got a whiff of cash coming this way. He's just taken 8 billion rands from Joe Biden for the just transition. He keeps taking money from anybody holding it out. And what we don't know, because as Pumlani was talking about, is he doesn't answer questions, right? So what we also don't know is we don't know what the terms are. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the terms of all of these loans, all of these these monies that are coming this way. We don't know what the terms are. We don't know what it is going to be used for. There are these vague terms that are being thrown about, like just transition, moving away from from coal. It's, I mean, it's it's quite a thing that like you get more answers out of Afri Forum than you do out of the president. And where is that money going? Right. I mean, isn't that ironic? Pumlini, Pumlani, what do you want to say about our foreign policy before we move on from this? Well, it's, um, you know, I've been asking myself what exactly is the national sort of long-term strategy in our foreign policy, in our foreign policy. And I don't see the concrete right sort of um, a strategy for, for our nation. Um, there's an analyst who pointed something out on TV this week, and he was asking, what exactly, um, as you just said, Gareth, what are we getting out of this? Yeah. You know, because Russia is not really even our sort of big trading partner, right? No. I think we have China at the top and then the EU. So it is not even a big sort of trading partner, uh, Russia. So why are we so much, you know, into this friendship with them? And to show off and be arrogant at a time when next month it will be a year since Russia sort of went in and invaded Ukraine. So f- for the fact that we are doing naval exercises at that time of the year, it looks very much insensitive and lacks strategy towards toward our foreign policy. And my view is that we shouldn't be, this is the point where we don't have to align and be, uh, sort of be big friends with anyone. This is where you try and, and be objective and balance things. You don't have to be hostile to the, to the West. You don't, no. have, you don't also have to be hostile to, to the biggest trading partner like, partner like China, right? You need to act in a manner that serves you your your interest yeah, the, but at the end of the day you don't have to be um because it's about national interest as uh, Pumi was saying earlier that there's like there's yeah, no I mean, pointing to good and bad guy yeah you're right a, a, you're yeah bad. because even the u.s has very bad guys who they have sort of they cause they up to them so i mean i think but it's about a strategic sort of positioning that you do things at the right time you don't want to come out and say you are neutral yet you are able to to basically tolerate um, something like having these naval exercises and, and things that are, they look quite insensitive to much of them, of the right. Ukrainian so, people and Western world. You know, while, while we're talking about who our friends are and who our friends are not and the, the various foreign dignitaries that have come to our shores, mm-hmm. um, I, I think maybe there are many people who've missed the fact that Janet Yellen is here. Oh, Janet Yellen. Yep. Well, I didn't miss that. I was about to mention. Oh, okay, you go. You go first before you were. No, I mean, no, no. You want to say it's fine. No, because I mean, it is not an. Janet insignificant Yellen, by the way, thing. the Treasury Secretary okay. of the United States. It is not an insignificant thing to know that the Treasurer of the United States is here, basically like their finance minister, is here mm-hmm. to see the president. Yeah. And I, I watched a really fascinating. Um, interview, well, press conference on SABC News yesterday after she had been to a game farm and she spoke at length about illicit trade of animals, Mm -hmm. uh, the use of American currency, money laundering, and um, how this illicit trade often enables their favorite enemy, (laughs) right, 
uh, hate groups, Islamists right. and the like, and and how they are very and this is you know because she is really the person who is in charge with protecting the U.S. dollar mm-hmm. and what it is used for. And we know this about America, speaking of bad guys, that when it comes to that, my word, they are the bad guys because they will hunt you to the ends of the earth if you use their dollar for nefarious reasons. And when I was watching that and listening to her speak, I couldn't help but think about the 64 million U.S. dollars that were found in a couch at a game farm belonging mm. to our president <laughs> and when i connect the dots isn't it was it you said 60 64 million rand but four million dollars yeah four million dollars sorry four million dollars right and i couldn't help but connect the dots that say maybe janet was here to warn our president about whatever it is that he is busy doing or maybe she's also just checking on that eight billion dollars that Joe Biden f- forgot he'd given us to start clean energy. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. Clean, guys. so let me just, uh, before we finish on, on, on foreign affairs, just quickly, like you mentioned Pumlani, and I think it's so right. There isn't a strategy. Like South Africa used to be positioning itself as one of the, the leaders in Africa. We're no longer that. I don't think we can claim any kind of, there's no not, strategy. Even in Africa, there's no strategy. We, we, we don't have we don't have we don't have a moral high ground. There's no there's no plan to increase trade. Uh, you know, the last major moves were made under Tabombeki when he and and Obasanjo started the AU. That was the last time we had any kind of leadership in Africa. I don't think that the rest of Africa looks to us for anything anymore. That's the first part. No, no. yeah. You know, second of all, yes. Second of all, we we keep on. Biting the hands that feed us. Like mm. if, if Joe Biden and the EU are doing things here in Africa or for us specifically in South Africa, and there are, you know, major trading partner in a number of ways. And they obviously are people who need things like coal and the rest of it, but we just don't seem to ever turn a friendly face towards them. We bite the hand when it does give us anything and we immediately turn to China who have shown <laughs> themselves to be just pillagers of African resources. They will take ports, they will take mines, they will take anything as collateral. They've done it in Angola, they've done it in Mozambique, they've done and it in railways. railways that whatever they need to take, they just take. There's absolutely no friendliness about that at all. And there's also no white guilt, which we've, we should be better at, uh, at, at using to our advantage because the Chinese don't have any of that. Europe and America do. They don't have what for Chinese guilt or something. No, they don't give Not a yet. shit. There's no, no, they, they never will. <laughs> so I think that we've really yeah. we've missed the boat. What are our strategic imperatives? I'd love to sit down with Naledi Pando, and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way because I actually think she's a thoughtful person, and she seems to me to take her job seriously. Okay, she she may not have the best ideas, but she takes her job seriously. I'd love to sit down with her and say, what would you like to achieve for South yeah, Africa? Man. In, she doesn't know. On the global stage, yeah. What would you yeah. like? like where, where would South Africa like to position itself? You know, even under Nelson Mandela, we were like the peacemaking nation. We were sending delegations to show people how to have peaceful transitions into democracy. And yeah, we, we had like, we had capital to spend. Now it seems like Pumi's right. The only thing we do is go around to the begging bowl. Yeah, just a quick one on Janet Yellen. The, 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 her tour of Africa, because she was in Senegal, she was in Zambia, and now she's here in South Africa. Um, it's part of the, the major uh, U.S. strategy of making a stronger or stronger inroad into Africa. You, you will remember that six months ago, um, Anthony Blinken was here in Africa. He came to South Africa and presented presented the Joe Biden, um, Biden's uh, Africa strategy. He presented that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now who's here in this week, there's also apparently a plan by the, the, you know, by the White House to bring President Joe Biden here in Africa to, for him to tour Africa sometime later this year. Hold on, we also hold on. saw the U.S. Hold on, Pumlani. Yes. Didn't Joe Biden fight apartheid single-handedly? He seems to have made speeches to that effect that he was in the marches and that he was here. He was he didn't he turn the key that opened the jail cell that let Mandela out? I think that's what he claims. He's been here before. 
<laughs> well, we need to factually check that was last mm. time I checked. It may not <laughs> be true. Um, so, I mean, it's, um, it's going to be, it's an interesting time that, um, we are seeing this. And Russia, of course, as you say, Lavrov is, was here this week, which is what we have been speaking about. So there is this, what is, what the scramble for Africa that is kind of back now in sort of full force. Um, and, um, as I said, we had the U.S. Africa summit last month. Um, in Washington DC, Ramaphosa couldn't attend because of the ANC politics and the conference. Couldn't. So, so, um, it's, it's an interesting time to see the, the West sort of pushing through or the United States mm-hmm. pushing through in Africa. We shall see where them, how this thing sort of, um, plays out over the long term. But we must be in a, we must be strategic in Africa at this point that we, we, we get them, we sort of handle things right. To, to, to a way that benefits just um, all of us, especially the citizens. The ANC is not going to be the one to do that. And I think the, the sooner we all recognize that, the sooner we all recognize that mm-hmm. and understand that every time we have these um, these conversations about what they are doing and where they are doing and where they are doing it and why they are doing it, and not understanding the fuller picture of of what everybody else is doing you know we keep talking right. about coalitions we keep talking about w- facing a possible coalition government now is the time i think as individuals all of us need to make ourselves very much uh away and okay with all of what other people are doing what the DA's plans are, what the EFF's international plans are, because all of those things are going to come into play. The ANC is a spent force. The, the EFF's, uh, the, the sum total of the EFF's foreign policy is to be friendly with Venezuela, and we don't know if, uh, what, mm. what other countries are up to. And, <laughs> and, and they, Iran and Russia as well, North Korea. The ANC, we can safely say. Looking at looking at past behavior and looking at where we are with the leadership that they have and and how they have behaved mm-hmm. in this past term, that we're going to have more of the same. We're going to have a muddling along yep. where they don't, we don't know what their policies are, but what they are doing is literally signing away, signing every piece of loan that is put in front of them, and we have no idea what those they, terms they are. are. They are. And more importantly, they're strategically we don't know. bankrupt as well. We we don't know what Cyril Ramaphosa does with all that money. I think we have forgotten that they received millions of COVID funds. Mm-hmm. What has happened to those COVID funds? Mm-hmm. Who who besides the the small fry with their PPE tenders that we have seen and kind of heard and about? Spokesperson was into that. But who has spent all this money? Yeah, and you you know. And what has been done with the money? This is what we have. This is, you know, and this is why it is important that we, we rally around the organizations that we believe can displace them and whittle down the kind of power. Because right now, unchecked, the power that they have is unchecked because they are, they are the largest voice. They are the largest number of voters and all of that, you know, in parliament, I mean. But that's why we have to rally to whittle down that power because otherwise we're just muddling along towards an edge that we don't even know. Well, guys, I'm, I'm very, very sad because Jacinda Ardern is no longer president, uh, prime minister of New Zealand. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I was a big fan. As you know, you know, she was one of the strongest supporters of lockdowns. And <clears throat> also, you know, she was a real feminist icon and she was a hero to the people who thought lockdowns were a good idea, one of the longest and most tough lockdowns in the world. And then when they eventually opened up their borders, oh, look at what happened. No one could have predicted that. (laughs) COVID went through the roof. And then when she was held to account and they actually said to her, holding her feet to the fire, Jacinda, you made terrible decisions. She got all emotional on TV and she stepped down. Shame. So she's resigned. So no more Jacinda Ardern. But now we've got someone whose name could only be New Zealand perfect. His name is Cross Hopkins. <laughs> I kid you not. That's his name. Cross Hopkins, who looks like 
Uh, as someone said, if John Smith and Sean Pollock's parents had to have wow. a child. And Chris Hopkins is the new Prime Minister of New Zealand. And he's just taken over, so we'll have to give him a chance. A, ch- a chance, sorry. And he's the 45, 41st Prime Minister of New Zealand. But he seems already to be um, following in Jacinda's footsteps because he said they're going to, uh, you know, if, if any other pandemic comes, they'll do exactly what Jacinda do- had done. So no lessons learned there at all. New Zealand also spitting out real leaders of quality, just like South Africa. Although I do love the fact that Jacinda took the decision to step down. Do you love it how? She was kind of because, forced out. You know, it even even forced out. She walked away. She walked away. Even if she was pushed and There's, didn't jump. I'm sorry, I'm she not gonna let you away. I'm not gonna let you spin have. this into a victory. No, it's it's uh, not it's a it's not a victory for her. It's it that's fine. But one of the things that we know here on this continent, right, is people have to be dragged away oh, yeah, yeah. from those positions. Sure. People like the Cameroon, you were speaking about the Africa-US <laughs> summit. I mean, Cameroon, fuck's sakes, they have a president who doesn't even live in the country. He lives largely in Switzerland. Yes. He's been in position for 40 freaking years. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks or months ago, there's a video on social media and widely reported because I saw it from a BBC Africa report, right? The president president of South Sudan, this is a new country, peeing on himself. He's that old, cannot hold the facility. You know, like, fuck sex. So, for me, a person that can take the decision to say, listen, I'm not, I'm not doing what you, you know, it's not working, not working for me, not working for you. Right. I'm, uh, okay. All right. That's it, guys. I'm walking away. Fuck. That's a win. Yeah. The president of Cameroon, Paul B, has been there since 1982. 1982. 40 freaking years. I had to look. He doesn't even live there. Doesn't even live there. He's 89 years old. And yeah, Pumi's right. He, he lives in Switzerland. It is disgraceful. I mean, and the people of Cameroon are what? They're okay with that? So, uh, listen. You get the government you deserve. For the fact that she, you know, had the presence of mind to go, okay, it's not working for me. It's not working for you. Okay. I'm out of here. Great. Yeah. Actually, we could wish for that. Great. <laughs> I hear you. All right. Uh, Pumlani, we've got a couple of minutes left. Anything you want to throw into the ring before we let you go and finish up and uh, dismantle this studio once and for all? <laughs> no, I mean, for me, I'm, what I'm watching is really the, the what from Aposa has said, because he has, in, he has told um, ESCOM not to effect the 18.6% tariff increase, yeah. uh, which is quite interesting. Um, and um, I saw an editorial this morning on Business Day, a very smart editorial basically saying, Mr. President, somebody has to pay. You know, there's no way you can avoid paying. Somebody has to pay. Um, so the fact that the president can come out and say, ESCOM must not, you know, affect these, these, these tariffs, it doesn't make someone, someone, somebody has to pay, you know, and the question is who's going to pay. So we should not be manipulated like that. In, in my view. And then we have Panyaza Ali Sufi, the Houghton Premier, oh, yeah. who has been around in Soweto, telling people that um, he wants to write off the 5 billion rand's debt of Soweto. That's populism at, at, at its best. And I, I'm not sure those are the kind of leaders who can move South Africa forward, who really play with people's emotions and really bring things that will that will destroy the country over the medium and, and, and long term. So I guess someone was tweeting that we should see more of this kind of gifts from the NC government ahead of the election in 2024, writing off that, you know, uh, T-shirts, um, food parcels, you can go on um, as you build up to, to the 2024 election. So for me, I think those things will be the strategy to manipulate us as the electorate, we need to watch out for that um, over the over the next um, next uh, months. It should be interesting to see how South Africa evolves in from the political uh, perspective. <laughs> you know what that that um, <clears throat> politicking 
of Banyaza Lusufi a couple of days ago reminded me of you know uh, Red Fox, African American stand up comedian and yes. actor. And he, he had a shtick about how, you know, if there's going to be that please God, if you're going to send us a natural disaster, make it an election year. Because then politicians show up. And this is this is exactly what we'll fix, you know, we'll fix the things speedily for the election. What we're seeing, right? We're yeah. seeing all of the politicking is we're seeing all of the big things that they think are going to move the dial. But I think that they, they certainly are in a position where it it is not even too little too late. They have pissed away mm-hmm. a, a, a moral high ground. They have pissed away a an opportunity to build a country that is a united country, that is a prosperous country, that is an educated country, they have pissed that away. And I don't think that, and I think that the people are pissed off. Mm -hmm. The people are pissed off because they are hungry and in the dark. Mm -hmm. And there is no prospect looking at them. And I know people like to say that because they give the 350 uh, grants, because people are on grants, they're going to keep people... People understand that their grant is not going to make them rich. I think if they under, it's not going to make them rich. It's not going to fix their lives. It's not going. It just holds them over, barely. Barely. Again, there's a, a, a video making rounds on social media of a, a parcel, food parcels being given out. I I don't know where it is. I actually think it's like Pretoria or something. Just hearing from the voices and what the people are saying, and. There's an old lady who, as they're trying to give the, the food parcel, her, her words exactly as Ramaphosa. It, 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 I think I'm not going to say it. It's too, it's too vulgar, Go right? No, 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 I'm not going to say it. It's too vulgar. But he, she basically says, fuck you, Ramaphosa and your food parcels, you and your, uh, ANC, your useless ANC. I don't want to hear a thing about you. I don't. And that for me is what the mood on the ground is, mm-hmm. right? Is even the food parcels are not enough. Even the, the grandstanding and the grand gestures yeah. are no longer enough. It's, I think it's for the opposition to fumble this one. Let's hope they don't. Let's see what we can do. Um, there's obviously, there are a lot of people doing things, but they're not the politicians. Very often, it's not the politicians. And listen, let's do let's let's do something new here on this show. Uh, and the by the way, Karen, and there's always forum is starting in yeah its own power company. When you say there are people who are doing things, yeah. Afro Forum is Afro Forum is already starting its um, a power a power supplying yeah. company. Yeah. So and they've done other things as well, you know, before. Plenty. So universities, I guess do things, guys. Yes. Okay, that's uh, all we got are time we watching, for today. Are we watching to see if the EFF is going to actually build the school that they promised no, to build I'm not in 2019? Wa- I, I, I won't wait. I, it'll make me gray and old and nothing will happen. <laughs> but uh, that's all we got time for today. And we will be back on the Burning Platform next week, Thursday, and tomorrow morning live on this show, 6 o'clock. Have an awesome day, everybody. Cheers. Bye-bye.